The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Question, but don't answer it out loud. You know, because sometimes we just, when church services, we'd rather say the right thing than what really is going on on the inside. But the question is, are you happy in Jesus? How many happy Christians do you know? I said, don't raise your hand. You know, a lot of Christians are walking around looking like their driver's license picture. But are you happy in Jesus? And frankly, a lot of Christians are not happy. And you're looking at Christian, they're just like the world, sad, depressed, and so forth. Do you want to know the reason? A lot of Christians are not happy. It's because they're not being obedient. There's lack of joy. They're saved, but they're enduring it, rather enjoying it. And there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. How? As we sang the song this morning, trust and obey. Trust and obey. And you know, I came to a realization and seeing a lot of churches talk about happiness, joy, and so on. And obedience is not something that we hear much about these days because it's a lot easier to draw a crowd with preaching on the next coolest topic, you know, whatever happens on culture, bring that to church. But what happens in the process when we start, can, start taking parts of the Word of God apart and just taking the parts we like and tailoring it to what we want, we basically, we're delusional and we're creating Christianity that doesn't exist. It's just Christianity that kind of appeals to us. We ignore the tough parts of the Bible, but those parts that confront us, parts that cause us to change. And, you know, we preach so much on uh, uh, salvation by grace through faith, uh, faith. And when we tell people about obedience or something like that to that effect, all of a sudden, I get accused of being a legalist. But let me tell you something. Your faith level is really determined by your obedience level. And we'll see that in the study. And you know what does the Bible say about obedience? A lot. It says a lot. But let me give you a couple of verses and think about if you should be obedient. One of the things that Jesus had to do himself was be obedient to the Father. And look in Romans 5.19, it says, For as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And in Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9, it says this. This is about Jesus. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who what? Who obey him. 
And folks, there's, no, there's only one alternative to obedience, and that's disobedience. Don't get the idea that you're not going to obey, but you're not going to disobey either. You know, sometimes we hear that, I'm not obeying, but I'm not disobeying. No, there's only one alternative, and that's disobedience. Now think with me, what obedience is, is merely choosing to believe God, trusting, and then obeying, obeying. Now, every one of us is free to choose. No one can force you to obey. You know, uh, a little kid was acting up, and he wouldn't sit down. And his mother said, if I come over there, I'm going to make you sit down. Sit down. He wouldn't listen. So she went over there, and she sat him down. Any of your mothers do that to your kids? Sat him down. And she walked away, and she glanced at him, and he's just smiling. I said, what are you smiling at? He said, I'm standing up on the inside. You know, nobody can force you to obey. You're free to choose. But you're not free to choose the consequence of your choice. You're free to choose, but you're not free to choose. I mean, you're free to jump out a window, right? I'm free to jump off the balcony. Please don't nobody do it. Just an illustration. But once you made that choice, the consequences take over. You see, you're not able to choose the consequences of your choice. You know, there's a, in the Old Testament, God told a man in the Old Testament to do something. His name was Saul. I'm sure you're all familiar with him. And he was the king of Israel. He was a handsome man, strong man. I mean, if you ever draw a picture of what you want a king to look like, Saul was it. You felt like you were in the presence of a king. In many ways, he was a good man, but he chose to substitute his will for God's will. And then he gave a silly excuse for it. Look at 1 Samuel 15, 20, 21. It says, And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agak and Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder of plunder, sheep and oxen, best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Saul said, I, I did what God told me to do. Samuel says, no, you didn't. And then you see what, what's the typical part when we start a conversation with somebody when we're talking about obedience, disobedience. They start making excuses, right? And that's what he started doing here, playing the blame game. But the people took it. God told them to destroy everything, but they chose to do their own thing. And then in 1 Samuel 15, 23, says, For the rebellion, this is how God views disobedience. For the rebellion is a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as is in iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. It's a sin of witchcraft. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also rejected you from being a king. Bada boom, bada bing. Saul is no longer king. Why? Disobedience. In 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, 
to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of the ramps. Trust and obey, they're, they're two feet, really, of our Christian walk. Trusting and obeying. But one is not a substitute for the other. They're just two feet of the Christian faith. Trust and obey. And I want to remind you folks that God's work, and including this church, never stopped because of lack of resources. We have more resources than the New Testament church had at their hands, just us here. It never stopped working. It never stopped working because of lack of resources or because we don't have money. It never stopped working because we don't have enough personnel or staff members. But the reason we're not doing the things we ought to be doing is because simply we're not obeying. We're not trusting in obeying. And folks, God owns the world. He owns it all. But God is waiting for us to trust Him and to obey Him. And we need to understand that obedience in the Christian life is not an optional thing. It's a duty. Today we also hear so much about easy believism, you know. And again, there's some true parts to it. You trust Jesus and you come to him. But the part that they don't teach is changing your way of life. They just say continue living as you were living before. Well, that kind of defines the, the, the point of repentance is to turn around, do a 180. How can you be a safe person, keep going in the same direction as you were before your conversion? Now, I don't believe in cheap grace. I believe in free grace, and there's a big difference because you see the demons even believe. In the book of James, chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they tremble. And sometimes we don't even tremble. But see, the problem is the demons don't believe him as Lord. So what kind of faith do you have if you just... Yeah, I believe there's a God. You're so far, your faith aligns with these demons. But demons will never bow the knee. They will never obey. They don't believe in him as Lord. And when you receive Christ, you don't just receive him as a savior. He is a savior. And salvation, folks, is not a cafeteria line where you choose and pick things you want. He is Lord. Now, if he is Lord... What do we do? We obey him. In Acts 16, 31 says, So to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What is it that they're asking you to confess here? Jesus Christ is Lord. Remember I told you last Sunday that in the Old Testament, I mean in the New Testament times, they didn't just call him Jesus or Jesus Christ, they called him Lord Jesus. Lord. And my friend, that is a very serious commitment. Nobody's saved who's just simply, you know, a lot of people just try to take a Jesus patch and patch it somewhere and you put it on there and they're saved. Folks, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. We pay nothing, but it's going to cost you everything. 
you come to Christ, you commit yourself to him as Lord and Savior and Master. He's the Messiah. So what's the difference between cheap grace and true grace? You see, cheap grace always justifies the sin. We have excuses. True grace justifies the sinner. True grace is just changes you on the inside. Now, I don't know how you feel about obedience, and I don't know how your obedience is this morning. And like I said, when we all come here Sundays, you all look, look like angels, smelling good, looking good, getting your hair done. I don't look like this during the week, especially, you know, since now since I work from home. Put on a hat. Now, this morning I want to talk to you about the importance of being obedient church. And again, we are all individuals that make up this church. So really, I want to talk about also about your individual obedience. We talked about the unity of the church last Sunday. How is it? We talked about this book being the complete authority of the Word of God. And all of you nodded your heads and agreed. Well, if this is the Word of God, shouldn't we be obedient to it? If we all agree, and we sung the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust, trust and obey. And really, if you're not trusting, you're not obeying either. You know, what we really believe, we live by, isn't it? What we really believe, we live by, and the rest is just going to be the religious talk. How many times we talk about gossip as being a sin? But most of us will probably won't believe that because we love to share prayer requests. And folks, this church is no greater than the faith and obedience of its people. And also in your family, in your personal life, your personal life is no greater than your trust and your obedience. And I'm praying that today that at least high level, God will etch these words in your heart. And folks, we need to understand God didn't simply bring us here to sit in church Sunday morning to hear precepts, but we need to translate those precepts into practices and to believe God and show that you believe God by obeying God. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 5. And before I read the scripture or start reading, let me tell you what happened. I mean, Jesus gone up, the Holy Spirit came down, the apostles went out, and the lost were coming in. There was a revival going on in Jerusalem. God was moving in a wonderful, wonderful way, and miracles were happening, and the apostles were in the temple, and they were preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. And Sadducees came, and they were like, put them in jail, lock them up. But they were miraculously delivered from jail. They went out right back into the temple and began to continue to do the same thing that got them into trouble to begin with. Right back at the scene of the crime. The next morning, these religious uh, muckety bucks, they're like, bring those out. We're going to put them on trial. Go get them out of prison. The guards are there. Doors are locked. But the apostles are out. They're not in jail. Somehow, we don't know how, they were out. And these religious leaders were very furious. 
and how these country bumpkins fishermen out there preaching in the temple again. And lots of crowds were following them. So they got together, the leaders, called a council, and brought the apostles back. And in chapter 5, verse 29, that's where we'll pick up reading. Because they're saying, what are you guys doing? Didn't we tell you not to do these things? They didn't even ask them how you got out. I'll be more interested in seeing how, how did you get out of jail. But in verse 29, it says, But Peter and other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand of the prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. You know, sometimes where there's a passage in Ephesians 5 and I believe verse 18 where, you know, it tells us to be filled with the Spirit and people ask me, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, what does it say here? You want to be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. So obey God. Obey His precepts. Obey His commandments. And we can't be unified or be a unified church without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so many Christians, they're not filled with joy, victory, or happiness, or, you know, maybe, I don't know if this is the right term, but accomplishments in their Christian life is because simply they don't believe, and they believe, but they don't act on it. They're unbelieving Christians, and they're disobedient Christians. Now, I want to say we're not saved because we obey, but we obey because we are saved. You know, one of the quotes I like by Martin Luther is when he says, we're not saved by faith and works, but we are saved by a faith that works. That's why, you know, in the Bible says, by the fruits you will know them. And Jesus says in Luke six forty six. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? And friend, if you're going to heaven, it's, I want to tell you it's because you're trusted and obeyed. Now, I want to give you two reasons out of this scripture. Reasons for obedience. First of all, why should we obey? Number one, because God, who God is. He is a sovereign God. He's not man. In Luke Acts 5, 29, but the Peter and the other apostles answered, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, man may tell you something, and you may have some choice about it, right? May do it, might not do it, but frankly, folks, when God tells you to do something, you don't have a logical, reasonable choice because he's a sovereign God. And you heard me say it before, when God says us some something, argument is over. My opinion don't matter, your opinion don't matter. It's his word. And when you got saved, you got into the king's army. And we have a commander-in-chief. Any of you been in the army? Marines? Now, when the sergeant comes in the barracks in the morning, does he tell you to please get out of bed? Well, you say, well, sergeant, I don't think I'll get up this morning. I'm going to sleep in a little bit. Oh, okay, no problem. What would you like for breakfast? I mean, if we had that kind of army, I'm sure we'd get a lot more recruits. But that's not how it is, right? Get out of bed. You got, I you know, in the Russian army, you had 30 seconds to get ready. Get up. It's not a request. It's a command. And God is God. He's a holy God. 
And he has the right to command his children. And he is the God of all creation. In Jeremiah 11.3, we read these words and says to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant. And say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey. Because he's a sovereign God, folks. There can be no refusal, no rebuttal. And I stated before, the only alternative to obedience is disobedience. And disobedience brings swift judgment, chastisement to the believer. In 2 Thessalonians 1.8, we read, In flame and fire, taking vengeance of those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's a sovereign God. Not only that, he's a saving God. In Acts 5, verses 30, 31 says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on the tree. Why such offensive language? Unapologetic preaching. He's not saying something to demean them. He's stating the truth and the facts. It's in the word of God, hanging on a tree. And God has exalted him to the right hand to be the prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So not only he's a sovereign God, but he's a saving God who suffered, bled, and died for us. And, you know, looking up that word ought, it really comes from the word owe. Why? Because we owe it to him. We're not our own. And sometimes we talk about obedience. You know, sometimes people think it's the, to the unbelieving world. No. This Bible, this Word of God, is written for Christians, not unbelieving world, and tells us to obey God. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. You know, there's a popular song that says, I am a friend of God. I'm sure you heard it. Everybody sings it. Maybe we're saying we're friends of God. How many of you love Jesus? Raise your hand on this one. All of you, right? Well, Jesus tells you and me in John 14, 15, if you love me, do what? All you raised your hand. If you love me, keep my commandments. And if you flip those things around, 15 and 14, if you go to John 15 and verse 14, it says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command. You know, I was kind of thinking slaves kind of obey because they have to. We at work obey because we need to, right? Sometimes the boss says something we don't like, but we still got to obey because we want to keep our job. But a son or a loving son or daughter obeys because he wants to. You know, sometimes people ask, you know, we talk about grace and so forth. And people would say, like, so you can go out and sin as much as you want, and God will still forgive you because you're saved. And I said, well, first of all, you know, if you want to go out and sin after you're saved, I doubt that you were saved. Second of all, yes, I can sin all I want to, but you see, the thing is, I don't want to. I can't. Why? Because I realize he's a sovereign God. Not only that, but he's a saving God, what he did for us on the cross and what he's promising me when I see him face to face. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to sin and do those things for the things that Christ died for? We're not going to be perfect, and I often say it's not the perfection of your life, but it's the direction. So why should we obey? Because first of all, he's a sovereign God. He's not a man. And because he's a saving 
God. But let me give you some reasons also or requirements for obedience. We've talked about the reasons. Now I don't talk about requirements because I think a lot of us would like to be happy in Jesus. We like to have victory in our lives. So what kind of obedience do we need? First of all, it needs to be wise. It needs to be informed obedience. I mean, you can't obey unless you know what God wants you to do, right? So therefore, that's where Bible study comes into place. We study the Word of God. And if we go back in Acts 4.20, they say, for we cannot speak the things which have seen and heard. We saw, we heard. We're not just running around doing things for God without knowing what God wants us to do. Sometimes people say, I, God wants me to do this. And God never told you to do those things. Many people are running around and doing things for God that God doesn't want done. You know, in Jeremiah 23, 21, it says, I have sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Sometimes we run around, do things, trying to look like busy bees, and doing the things that God doesn't want done. I heard about two little boys who were in Boy Scouts, and they went out and do their good deeds for the day. And they came back to the scout troop, and they're all beat up, and their shirts were torn apart. They said, what happened to you? What were you doing? said, oh, we, wanted, we went and helped the old lady across the street. They said, well, what happened? She didn't want to go. She didn't want to go. Sometimes we're like that. We're out there doing things that God doesn't want done. And we're calling it the will of God. And many Christians are doing things, calling it the will of God, when it's not the will of God at all. They're not obeying because the things of God, they're trying to do things that he never commanded to do. So our obedience to God must be informed. And if anyone to do his will, I believe it's John 7, 17, but don't quote me on that, he shall know doctrine. That's what the Bible says. What is doctrine? Sometimes people get afraid of that word. It's understanding God's word, how we interpret it. That's all it is. Sometimes people say, well, I don't want this, I don't want that, just give me Jesus. Well, Jesus is doctrine. They're trying to say, I don't want doctrine, but at the same time, they're saying, I want doctrine. So it must be informed obedience, and not only that, it must be intentional. We must intend to obey. You must seek the will of God. You must want to know the will of God. Now, if you don't know the will of God, it doesn't mean that you're excused. A lot of people say, well, the less I know, the less I'm responsible for. No, not in the Christian life, because you should know the will of God. There's to be intent to the will of God. Every day, you report for duty. And we see a lot of times we think, God didn't tell me to do anything. Well, that's not an excuse. Your study or you're not spending time with God, here's a wonderful verse. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 8, 32, verses 32-34. It says, Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. So there's your instructions, informed, intentional, and do not disdain it. 
Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my door. Now, isn't that a great verse? Do you watch daily? I mean, are you listening? Do you wake up and report for duty? You're not excused for not doing the will of God just because you've not heard the will of God. It's not that God is not speaking. It's, friend, that you're not listening. Ignorance will not be an excuse. And God will hold you accountable for what you hear. God will hold you accountable for what you hear today. And God will hold you accountable for what you hear today if you would have listened. If you listen. So it must be intentional. And there's also immediate obedience. You know, selective obedience is not obedience at all. And delayed obedience is just disobedience as well. I want to read the Acts again from chapter 5, verses 27 through 31 this time. And it says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. This is the council of the religious, the high priest, and asked them, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with what? Your doctrine. You filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered them and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted his right hand to be the prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, the reason I wanted to read this whole thing for you again, so you can see the point when the, while the high priest is telling Peter not to preach, Again, what is Peter doing? At the same time, Peter is preaching. While the breath's still on, the, you know, the priest is still talking, we told you not to preach, Peter, saying God raised him up from the dead. He is Lord, he's the Savior. And the moment they're saying not to do it, Peter is doing it because it's immediate obedience. Peter's not questioning. There's no reserve. There's no backup. There's no lag in between. Folks, God tells you to do something. Don't look around see if the circumstances are favorable. Sometimes, you know, me too, I sometimes wish I didn't know some things. I'd be like, oh, if I didn't know, I wouldn't. But sometimes when God reveals the truth, you are responsible. What are you going to do with that truth? You are responsible for it. And then sometimes, you know, your friends, relatives, you have to confront those conversations and so forth and point them to the Scripture. Sometimes it's not all honey and no bees, right? God tells you to do something. You don't wait till tomorrow to do it or the next day. Do it immediately. And folks, procrastination is also a form of disobedience. Think about it. It is. In Psalm 119, 60, verse 60, it says, I made haste and I did not delay to do what? To keep your commandments. So the Lord, the obedience to the Lord must be immediate. When God opens up a new truth to you in the Word of God, you don't delay and say, maybe next week I'll start doing that. Start doing it right away. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And then it's inflexible. They're not, there's no flexibility, regardless of circumstances. This is trusting and obeying. And sometimes we don't trust, and that's why we don't obey. In Acts 5.33 says, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. 
So these priests wanted to kill the apostles and Peter. So their lives were literally in danger, physical danger. And yet in face of this danger, there's no flexibility. You know, they were preaching, got locked up, sanctified jailbreak. Again, they're in front of the council. They're being flexible, like, oh, man, they're going to just keep bringing us back. No, he's preaching right there. There to be no compromise with disobedience, even in the face of death, we ought to obey God. And, folks, the test of our obedience is not so much how much we're willing to take of suffering. It really comes down to how much are you willing to give in terms of sacrifice. I shared a wearer back with you a story, and it's a true story, and I don't know if I'm repeating myself or not, but most of you know Victor Agarwardnikov, member of our church. And Victor's dad was a great preacher in his day, and so was my great-grandpa. And one day, there was a knock on their door, and they called him to renounce their faith. This is the communist Soviet Union. Now, they have lots of children. I can't remember how many children they had. Large number, like eight, ten. And they're the breadwinners of the family. You know, they're going to get locked up for a long time. Who's going to provide for their families? And there was this inflexible obedience. They sat in prison together simply for believing God. Now, Victor's here. My great-grandpa, my father's here. Where is communism? Obedience. Circumstances around them did not change their obedience to the Lord. It should be inflexible. You shouldn't go taunting people with it or something like that, but just stay firm and be obedient no matter what. Not only it was inflexible, it was impassionate. Look at Acts uh, chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. So when they departed, again, they didn't throw them in jail this time, did they? It says, when they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy for the sufferer's shame for his name. And daily in the temple, in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. And friends, they did it with this burning, blazing, passionate, emotional zeal. Do we have zeal to obey God when we leave this premises? To obey God. Not just to obey Him, but also obey Him with gladness. They went away rejoicing. In Psalm 100, verse 2, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence singing. And folks, I do believe that the cause of Jesus Christ has been hurt more by Christian bench warmers than by atheists and God's enemies put together. People kind of come to church, drag their feet. There's no joy. There's no zeal. There's no difference. The only difference is they come here on Sunday for an hour. We don't work. There's no zeal. Kind of reminds me of a man. He went to his boss and said, hey, I thought I was going to get a raise. I didn't get a raise. You know, when's my raise going to be effective? He says, it'll be effective whenever you are. And God, God, when will God work in our church? When you do. When you do. A lot of times we have no joy, no zest when it comes to the things of God. And sometimes, you know, again, the position is 
a lot of Christians take is, I'm a moderate. Well, you can't be moderate about the Bible. You can't be moderate about the Word of God. You can't be moderate about heaven or hell. And Jesus Christ said to the church in Revelation chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, it says, So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Just I just can't stand you. You're not cold. You're not hot. You're just kind of like, eh. And because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, that's Christianity in our world today, especially in the United States, because we have everything. We can go to a store and buy things. We're comfortable. But we do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And folks, what God is saying here, he would have you rather be out and against him than half-heartedly pretending to be for him. Think about it. A husband who is faithful to his wife part-time. How would that go? He's not faithful at all. You know, we sing songs and so forth. We come here. One of the songs we sing is standing on the promises of God when all we're doing is just sitting on the premises, right? And God forgive this lukewarm, half-hearted. Sometimes people say, I'm old and so forth. Oh, no. There's a lot of old people in the Bible that God used. Look at Abraham. And if we're going to serve him, we have to serve him with joy from the heart. And Romans 6, 17 says, yet you obeyed from the heart. You obeyed from the heart. There's to be zeal for serving the Lord. We serve him with gladness. We serve him with a full heart, fullness and joy, enthusiasm. And the disciples loved the Lord so much that the Bible says they departed the council as we read, counted it worthy, suffer shame for his name. But there's also, folks, the benefits of obedience. You know, sometimes we Bible is full of things that when people become disobedient, what God does and so forth. But you know God rewards obedience as well? Look at verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things, so also is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey him. Did you get that? To those that obey him. Now, show me anywhere in the Word of God where somebody was disobedient and God gave them more power. He gave them more Holy Spirit. Any of you would give a keys to a brand new Ferrari to a disobedient child? Give them more power to drive? No. And when we bring our life to, into conformity to the will of God, when you say, Lord, my desire, my ambition, my driving motive of my heart, of my life is to obey you, but God says, I'm going to release that spiritual power and give it to you. Be filled with the Spirit. It's going to give you more power. And I'm sure all of us want power in our lives, but not without obedience. And I'm talking about spiritual power. Not without obedience. You don't, you never will. Not only that, not there's only power, but there's also joy in the heart. When you obey God, and you go through something rough, and you stayed faithful. Might be a turmoil to go through, testing of your faith, 
But there's this joy in your heart. As we read in verse 41, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the shame for his name. And sometimes, you know, I talk to people and let's say I don't have joy in my Christianity. Christianity is dull, it's boring, insipid. I don't have any victory. And Jesus Christ is not real to me. For some reason, he's not real to me. Let me give you a scripture. In John 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them. Now, he who has my commandments and keeps them equals, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Don't say, folks, that you love Jesus and you don't obey him because that's just empty talk. Let me read that again, you know, because I saw a lot of people come in early for the back pews. So for those of you in the back, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you see that word manifest? What does that word mean? It means he will make myself known to you. I will be real to you. And the reason that Jesus is not real to many people is they're not obeying. He's not manifesting them, himself to them. And why would God open up more truth to you in the Word of God or give you more whole spiritual power when you haven't even lived up to the things you already opened it to you, the truth that you already know? Why would God do that? And some people say, well, I don't know all the entire Bible. How can I obey everything that's in it? Well, you heard me say it before. Start obeying what you already know. It's that simple. We tend to complicate things. But obey the things you already know, and God will continue to manifest himself to you. He'll continue to open up. He will show you new things. You start obeying those things and grow in your Christian walk. God will open up. You will move, and God moves, and things in church will move. So there's spiritual power in your personal life. There's going to be joy in your heart. And there's also important benefit. There will be victory in the church. Victory in the church. Your personal obedience has impact on the church because we are our family. And we're going to get see a lot of souls saved. Look at verse 32 again. And we have witnesses to these things. He also is the Holy Spirit whom he God given to those who obey him. So they're obeying. God's given him this Holy Spirit, the power. And then in verse 32, And daily in temple, in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. So they continue studying and so forth, preaching. Jesus is manifesting themselves to them. You see the progression here? Came to the Lord, Jesus, accepted him as Lord. The Holy Spirit descended and dwells in them. They began to obey the word of God. They had unity because they're all in the temple all together and was based on the teaching and preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened? Now in those days, in Acts 6-1, when the number of disciples was multiplying. Now in those days, the number of disciples was 
multiplying. Doesn't that make sense? They were witnesses. They were, ought to obey God. They didn't cease teaching and preaching Jesus, and the number of disciples was multiplying because they remained faithful and obedient to God's word. Isn't that wonderful? Huh? Amen? But wait, it gets better. There's more. If you think that's wonderful, not only they multiplied, but look what happened to those priests that once persecuted the church, and thanks to the apostles' obedience and staying faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ because he was real to them. In Acts 6, verse 7, we read this. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. A great many of the priests were obedient to the, pre, to, the, to the faith. What priests is he talking about? The same priests that wanted to plot and kill them. Isn't that wonderful? Why? Because of their faithful. You see, the church is being persecuted. We see godless government today and approving, rejoicing in the things that are not delightful in the God's eyes and his word. And we as Christians, what do we do? First reaction, that's still flesh. We begin to criticize and curse those people, right? Condemn those people. But could it be that God is pointing them to salvation by letting them watch your obedience to him? Just think about Paul. He was persecuting the way. That's what the early Christians were called. And became the greatest defender of what he was persecuting, took the gospel to the Gentile world. And I'll say it again, folks, our job, our job is to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and leave the results to him. I don't want to do anything for God. I want him to do something through me because he can do a lot more than I can in my own power, running around doing things and getting beat up. And folks, if you trust, study the scriptures, you can track disobedience down through the generations and so forth, but you can also trace the benefits of obedience. God provides perfect contrast between the two in his word. In Deuteronomy 28, first three verses says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Isn't that wonderful? And then he continues in verses 15, 16, it says, But shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, his statutes, which I commend to you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. In verse 16 it says, Cursed shall be in your city, and cursed shall be in your country. Let me remind you again, these 66 books, this word of God, is written to Christians. So, it's not asking the unbelieving world to be obedient to the word of God. 
It's telling us, his children, to be obedient to the word of God. And folks, as I said before, and I'll keep saying it, the problems we're seeing today in the world, in our country, is not because, you know, of the schoolhouse or the White House or blame the government for things. It's because of the church house. We're not being obedient. There's no light in the world. Churches today are more influenced by culture rather than the Word of God. And again, I want to reiterate that this is written for Christians, right? Let me give you one of the saddest verses in the Bible, at least in my opinion, one of them. In Luke 18, 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. <clears throat> Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Beginning the message, I said, your faith level is measured by your obedience level. And we live out what we truly believe, believe, and the rest is just empty talk, religious talk. This is Jesus. This is God saying, when he comes back, we have so many churches everywhere, will he really find faith on earth? Who's addressing, who's Jesus addressing here? The White House? The unbelieving world? The church house. He's not going to be looking for faith in unbelievers, but in his children. And we see all kinds of attractions, entertainment, gadgets, people claiming to do the word of God. But Jesus is looking for faith. Faith is living out what you truly believe. So let me ask you, are you living out the word of God? Are you obedient to the things that God has already opened up to you? And things you know to be true? If not, why not? You say you're a Christian. You know, I shared with you before about Alexander the Great and how they brought a thief before him. And he asked him what his name was, and he said, My name is Alexander. He said, No, you're not. I'm Alexander. And he told him, Either change your ways or change your name. And I think sometimes God is looking at Christianity today and saying, hey, you guys need to change your ways or change your name. You're not representing me out there. Folks, there are clear benefits for obedience and God's blessings. How many of you, let me ask you this question. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to hurt a heart attack. How many of you actually went online, pulled up a statement of faith and just read through it? what we believe, how we believe it. Have you done that? We don't even know sometimes what we believe. We just come to church. But when we're asked questions outside, we don't know. We're Christians. Well, what do you believe? Now, I'm not asking you to be a theologian or anything like that, but have you just read through it? Have you pondered on things? Apply those things in our life because that's what represents this church, that doctrine. And sometimes I have to tell you that, you know, truth hurts at times. Some of us in this church are not being obedient to the Lord. We're not. And we're looking for a blessing. Some of you are comfortable. And I'll tell you right now, as a pastor, I'm not comfortable with it. But some of you stop growing, thinking you're arrived, you 
don't participate in ministries, you don't come to Bible studies, some sit, soak, and sour, just talk about how wonderful if this church grew or how wonderful God is, but we do nothing for him. And sometimes we get upset because someone is trying to wake you up from a nap. And I know waking people from naps, you get angry, hangry, try waking up Stella from a nap. But most of you know I love history, and so let me share a story with you that you may all know. You know, on April 18th, year 1775, the British had their troops on the old Boston. And the plan was at nighttime, when everyone is asleep on their small boats, they're going to come across Charles River and attack Lexington and Concord. Everyone was asleep. British had their plain clothes on. You know, they're trying to trick them. But there's one man that was not asleep, Paul Revere, right? And there's different legends going around about Paul Revere and his famous ride. But I like this story. Rode his horse, riding around, waking people up. Lights came on. People got dressed in a minute. You know, they were called Minutemen because... They have to get dressed in a minute. Get ready. Sounding the alarm, the British are coming. Defend their country, defend their children from the British. And all Paul Revere sent out a call. And call was, wake up. The British are coming. A war. And I want to tell you, there's another war that's this invisible war. War and somebody needs to be a modern Paul Revere, and it's you to tell people around them to wake up. Wake up, the enemy is upon us. The enemy is coming. We need to sound their alarm. But the sad thing is, as Jesus said, will I come and find faith? The church is asleep. We're snuggled up or covered up. You know, sanctuaries are dark these days. But it's we who need to wake up the most. Wake up before it's too late. The word of God and obedience of God take that secondary, you know, it, it's taking the secondary role in churches, really. The word of God turned to motivational speech. There's no study. It's just something at the end, 15, 20 minutes. We spend more time singing than actually preaching and studying the Word and applying those things. You know, it used to be where we came to church to hear the, what's being preached. Now most just, as I said before, look up what kind of songs they're singing, what kind of band is playing, who's, what kind of worship. But folks, is your faith in Jesus real? Is Jesus real to you? Do you care about his feelings and what he thinks? Because he's real. Are you concerned with finding out what his will is? You can only find his will in this book. And then once you find out, you start obeying it. And sometimes, again, people say, I have no joy and so forth. God seems to be that he's so far off. And when you talk to those people, you find out, guess who moved? It wasn't God. In James 1.22, it says, be the doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourself. If you're just a hearer and not a doer, you're not deceiving me or God or anybody else. You're just deceiving yourself. 
And Jeremiah 7.23 says, But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk all the ways I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Do you see the benefits of the obedience? Obey my voice, then I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Walk in the ways I commanded you, and you're going to have a blessing. It'll be well with you. And as we read in John 14, 15, it said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And folks, there's that train, victory express in the Christian life. Trust and obey. As we sang this morning, trust and obey. This church, folks, is no greater than the faith and obedience of its people. And we need to understand that God will not accept excuses for disobeying because to obey, he's the one that provides the strength through the Holy Spirit. He provides the strength. And to be a happy church in Jesus, we have to trust and obey. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you'd help us all with fear and trembling to present ourselves to you as obedient children. Help this church be obedient to you no matter what the cost or consequences are, Father. That people looking around see our obedience and our love towards you may come to you. And we also pray for members that are not with us who are sick or not here for various reasons. We also pray for our children, relatives who are lost and do not know you as Savior. We pray, Father, that you work in their hearts and help us be good examples for them. We pray for our leaders, local and federal, and our president. Give them all wisdom. Give them your fear. Be with us, Father. And as we leave this place today, I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.